There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi there and welcome again to the Explaining History podcast. And as you'll know if you follow this podcast, um, I've been doing over the course of the last year uh, various um, podcasts on the topic of uh, everyday life in post-war America, or the 40s and 50s uh, particularly, and what it was like to uh, be uh, living during a time of uh, unprecedented increases in material well-being. Um, American people at the end of the Second World War had memories of the Great Depression and of wartime rationing and austerity fresh in their minds and yet within a decade they were living in a country that had half the world's wealth and 5% of the world's population and uh, a country that had experienced uh, advances in material wealth unknown really in this kind of rapidity and abundance in human history. America at the end of the Second World War was not only the richest country in the world but the richest country in the history of the world. Now any geography student will tell you that gross domestic product does not equal gross domestic product per capita, that uh, huge influxes of wealth into a country are not by their very nature uh, equally shared, and as we've already discussed many, many times before, um, for the most part, black Americans, Latino Americans, and other minorities didn't share uh, particularly in this newfound prosperity. This was truly was the era of mass consumption, and it's no mistake that much of the art and culture that emerges throughout this period really reflects um, this explosion in uh, consumption and the amount of resources uh, that are uh, available to uh, ordinary uh, Americans. Um, if you look at the film and television of the, the, the 50s and 60s, these are almost kind of showcases 
to new mass consumption societies from uh, everything all the way down to uh, cartoons like the Jetsons and the Flintstones um, they talk about uh, abundance within suburbia even for kind of the the, the working class uh, characters within things like for example the um, the Flintstones uh, and that sort of thing um, historian Fred Siegel says a good deal of what had once seemed science fiction became everyday life. Um, this is obviously from Grand Expectations, uh, James Patterson's uh, excellent history of America, 1945-74. James Patterson says, In the five years after the war, Americans were presented with such new items as the automatic car transmission, the electric clothes dryer, the long playing record, the Polaroid camera, the automatic garbage disposal unit. Um, if you read um, Never Had It So Good, Dominic Sandbrook's History of Britain from 1956 to 1964, uh, then you, you, you see a kind of an sort of story. The post-war boom in Britain takes about another five years uh, in order to, to manifest itself. Uh, the post-war boom in America is really uh, in evidence at the end of the 1940s. Um, it takes until the mid-1950s, really, for, for Britain to take off in much the same way. Uh, very good economic and historical reasons for that. Uh, but they uh, both tell a similar kind of story. Both books tell a, sim a similar kind of story about Britain and America, uh, respectively, and you find a, a similar explosion in mass consumption happening throughout most of the world that A, hadn't been defeated in the Second World War, um, or B, that had managed to uh, stave off most of the, the ravages of war. However, even in um, France, Italy and other European countries rebuilding themselves, once again, there is a, a consumption takeoff. Now, one of the things I've long suspected is this explosion in uh, consumption in living standards that marked the 50s and then the 1960s has cast a long shadow over pretty much everything else. When you look at um, disgruntled and angry middle and working class people across the Western world, pointing back to a kind of uh, mythologised heyday uh, long before the ravages of neoliberalism, this is the era they point back to, assuming that it can be endlessly replicated. Now, um, maybe it can, maybe it can't. That's perhaps for econo economists to, uh, to discuss. Or it's entirely possible that this, war, this explosion in consumption and material well-beings was a historical one-off uh, and not something that current conditions can perhaps replicate. It's a slightly different conversation altogether with other different implications attached to it. Um, the new levels of innovation seem to really stand out in this period. Frozen food, for example, which was for the first time marketed um, widely, treated with great suspicion in some quarters to begin with. Um, plastics, nylon, um, polythene and cellophane, um, styrofoam cups, um, vinyl floor covering, um, the, uh, the plastic bag, plastic toys for children, all of these um, came from the invention, the invention of this um, incredibly useful, incredibly durable, and now we see incredibly problematic substance, PET, polyethyl tetrachloride, that um, has been uh, the, the kind of the, the 
the main building block of that and the silicon chip, I suppose, of post-war um, uh, post-war society. James Patterson states: Between 1939 and 1948, clothes sales jumped threefold, furniture fourfold, jewellery fourfold, liquor fivefold, and household appliances, including TV, fivefold. Now, between 1930, 1941 and 1945, for four of those years, obviously, rationing made most of that impossible. So probably the jump in material well-being happened not between 1939 and 1948. Most of, the, of what we talked about there, uh, clothing, sales jumping threefold, uh, furniture jumping fourfold, would have happened between 1945 and 1948. The car um, is uh, the, the, the object that um, really is synonymous with new post-war uh, prosperity and affluence. Um, car sales were 69,500 in 1945. The following year, they leap from, from that to 2.1 million. Um, the, and that's really got more to do with the drag factor of the war in 1945 than um, dramatic increases in productive uh, capacity. Most aircraft, hang most aircraft factories um, had originally been uh, used for manufacturing things like cars, uh, turning a uh, car engine into an aircraft engine, a fighter aircraft engine, is a relatively straightforward uh, transition. Um, we did talk in the podcast a while back about American rearmament and about American manufacturers desperate for Roosevelt to give the green light so they could start to retool their plants as quickly as possible. And the process of turning a uh, peacetime economy into a wartime economy is very difficult. And But transitioning backwards, it appears, has uh, proven to be uh, a lot easier. The American government, if you read uh, Anthony Sampson's brilliant book, the Arms Bazaar, uh, the aircraft industry in California collapses in 1945, only to be quickly revived with huge government subsidies uh, thereafter and uh, defence spending, which is a, a great way of keeping otherwise obsolete industries uh, that are strategically useful full of life. Um, in 1949, car sales hit 5.1 million. Um, and this was a record-breaking, a record-breaking uh, record uh, level of sales. Um, with the previous previous high point had been 1929, so that shows you again. If the previous high point had been 1929, that shows you the effects of the Great Depression throughout the 1930s and the war. By 1950, sales had gone up to 6.7 million, and in 1955, they reached 7.9 million. And this is where um, many people in America believe that um, there had been some kind of takeoff point in terms of living standards, and that living standards would only ever increase um, exponentially. The demand for cars was predicated on two things mainly: the uh, flight of white Americans to suburbia, necessitating car use for. Uh, people to get to work and suburbia being spread out you can only really navigate it by a car getting to the shops and that kind of thing and getting back and that sort of business but also it's predicated on cheap oil now in the 1970s two oil shocks in one decade will cause 
terrific crisis in uh, American suburbia. Uh, and there would be um, a sense of gloom over the decade that something terribly wrong was going was going terribly wrong with the American dream. One of the things that's going wrong is that the American dream, if there is such a thing, was built on cheap oil. And after the the two oil shocks, it's never quite that cheap uh, again. Most of the cars that were purchased in America by the 1950s were American built. There were very few uh, Volkswagens, and American cars of the 1950s were large. Uh, they had uh, eight cylinders, uh, 100 horsepower engines, um, radios, heaters, lights. They were works of art, as I'm sure anybody with an interest in classic cars know. And they were statements of kind of post-war American affluence and identity. You have um, Chevrolets and Studebakers. Uh, looking not dissimilar from the uh, kind of imaginings of spaceships, um, you know, those are almost slightly modelled on kind of uh, the um, cartoon versions of, of spaceships, and again, things like the Jetsons, which I keep referencing. Um, and the big three car companies, General Motors, Chrysler and Ford, dominated the market. Cars were relatively um, expensive, and uh, in relation to family incomes, and new Chevys and Fords started at the price tag of about $1,300, which is two-fifths of the median family income uh, at that time. The transition to a car-owning society, to an automobile society, obviously has uh, huge structural implications for uh, downtown areas, um, for places where had normally been accessed by uh, bus, uh, for the railroad industry, um, but for gas stations, for the oil business, for um, trucking uh, stops, for roadside hotels and motels, um, the entire transitory culture of uh, America in the second half of the 20th century, this flourishes because of this boom in car. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. 
ownership um, in and the uh, suburban shopping mall dramatically booms as well. There were eight in 1946 and 4,000 um, a decade later. Uh, in the 1920s, um, cars had, had developed and changed patterns of living, and they did so again in the 1950s, and they were part of the driver of economic change within, uh, within society, uh, reshaping it and reforming it in this way that kind of capitalism tends to do, tearing up things, and throwing up the pieces and starting with something new. Um, this also, uh, cars also powered the development of America's post-war construction industry and the uh, building of new cities that previously were, could have been inconceivable um, without cars um, developed in uh, particularly the west coast of America. Millions of former servicemen and their families had decided to decamp to California for um, the uh, the warm weather and the quality of life, and much of the new building was single family homes in American suburbia. There was some subsidised uh, apartment building for uh, poorer people, um, which received con congressional subsidies. Um, but new single family homes in 1944, uh, there have been 114,000 of them. Two years later, this rate rises to nearly a million. With um, with nine hundred and thirty-seven thousand, and one point seven million a year in nineteen fifty, fifteen million houses were added to the total stock of housing in America between nineteen forty-five and fifty-five, um, which led to another thing that's going to shape post-war America and shape mentalities and ideas and beliefs that American people had, which was record high levels of home ownership. Generally, and this is a generalisation, but generally home ownership tends to convey onto large swathes of the population a certain degree of faith and reassurance and belief in uh, the, the uh, pre-established rules of the system. Again, across the Western world at the moment, um, housing is extremely expensive and trying to sell the story of capitalism to people that cannot afford to own any capital is rather difficult. By 1960, 60% of all Americans um, owned their homes, though that increase was only 10% on 1945, when half of all Americans did. So a lot of this was as the result of government action. It's very unlikely, uh, normally very rare, for the wonders of market forces left on their own simply to be responsible for these kinds of things. Normally governments actually have to kind of engineer uh, dramatic social change uh, one way or another. Congress had authorised increased spending uh, for home loans by the Federal Housing Administration and the Veterans Administration. So this was part of the GI Bill of Rights of 1944. Um, and so this huge um, uh, influx of cash into the system uh, made it easier for people to access credit than at any time uh, before. Um, the terms of the loans are very, very generous, um, especially if you compare that to what private industry was uh, or private banking was, was prepared to offer. 
and particularly uh, before the war. In 1939, prospective homeowners had to put down huge sums of money, um, half the value of the home or more, and to pay off the mortgages extremely quickly. Um, this really precluded um, or excluded large numbers of people from home ownership. The Federal Housing Administration and the Veterans Administration were offering loans of up to 90% uh, of the value of the property and allowing 30 years uh, for the uh, mortgage to be paid off. Um, interest rates were around 4 to 4.5%, so comparatively low. And the Veterans uh, uh, Administration allowed veterans to purchase homes with basically no down payment. This was an investment in post-war social stability. Uh, there are numerous, numerous examples of large numbers of um, soldiers returning from wartime to uh, peacetime and being um, not taken care of in a particularly humane or um, forward-thinking way and all sorts of trouble emerging uh, as a result. At the time of the Cold War, the idea of American prosperity, the idea of American uh, egalitarian um, egalitarian politics, the idea that capitalism works not just for the rich but for everybody, this had to really uh, be put into, um, put into practice and shown uh, and there was uh, a, a concern that uh, poverty in America might well undermine some of the, uh, the, the, the key claims of uh, capitalist society. It was private builders that made the houses um, and this influx of cash into the system stimulated the private building industry um, they, who struggled to actually keep up with demand. Um, for example, in Chicago, um, the housing development Park Forest uh, was planned um, for uh, the city um, and it was meant to house 30,000 people. Um, the builders, um, uh, William Levitt um, and his brother Alfred, who were a salesman and an architect respectively, um, had been fairly small-time guys uh, until the Second World War. Um, and then they saw the opportunities that production line techniques and production line technologies could uh, afford them. Uh, and so mass production of housing um, was uh, in, for, uh, by the Levitt Brothers, an innovation based on observations of, of, of wartime planning and, and procedures. Um, they began to apply the expertise they'd learned uh, to suburban housing. Uh, the lumber came from forests that they themselves had purchased. They created a kind of like a vertically integrated system uh, to keep the, the, the costs as low as possible. Um, they also made all their own nails and cement. They hired uh, non-union workers to keep strikes um, and, and uh, low and prevent strikes and paid them higher uh, than normal uh, unionised workers um, uh, would get. They paid them above wage scales. Um, the Levitt brothers um, formed workers into teams and carefully defined each task, much as Henry Ford had done on the uh, Ford motor car production lines. At the peak times, using pre-assembled materials um, and pre-assembled planning material uh, systems, um, they could put a house together in 16 minutes. 
and the very first Levittown um, emerged on potato fields that were 30 miles of, out of New York City uh, at Hempstead on Long Island. And the Levittown at Hempstead um, was the largest single housing development put up in one go by an American builder. It lasted for 50 years and had 17,000 homes and accommodated over 80,000 people. Um, the Levittown had seven village greens and shopping centres, 14 playgrounds, nine swimming pools, two bowling alleys and a town hall. And the, uh, the Levitts sold the land at cost for schools and donated spaces for churches and fire stations, which gives you an indication of, of how much profit they must have made from it. Other Levitt towns were created in Bucks County, Pennsylvania, and Willingboro, New Jersey. Uh, these were almost as, as vast. Um, Levitt towners got a substantial discount on um, property. Um, the basic model uh, house was $7,990, which was just a little bit more than two and a half times the median family income. Um, imagine uh, if you were going to buy your house for two and a half times your median income. Um, a bargain, I would, uh, I would venture. And down payments were easy for people who went through the FHA and the VA, um, and normally they were around fifty to ninety dollars a month if you were paying over twenty-five to thirty years. Houses that were on sale, uh, when the houses went on sale, there were queues around the block to uh, purchase them, and people would um, uh, sometimes queue the night before. And what they normally got was a lot, uh, where you would find. Uh, trees or uh, an orchard or a, a potato field. Um, lots were about twice as uh, big uh, as those in the uh, city centres and buyers would get uh, a four-in-one half room, a kitchen, a living room, two bedrooms, a bathroom, uh, an attic uh, and sometimes even a carport. The houses were built on concrete and uh, with central heating and often would include such amenities as even uh, television sets, built-in bookcases, um, refrigerators, stoves, fireplaces, and, and washing machines. So it was a ready-to-move-into-completed house, um, part of the uh, mass production of uh, post-war America, uh, where everything from TV dinners to homes themselves could be bought um, off the peg. Okay, so we're going to continue with this one uh, later in the week and look more at uh, American suburbia. But I hope you found this useful. Do remember to follow us on Patreon, and if you can sponsor the podcast at all, that's great. Um, and thanks to those who already are doing, much obliged. Anyway, I hope this has been useful, and I'll catch you on the next Explaining History podcast. Bye-bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. 
Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.